You are listening to the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast, a Burning Hallows production. Welcome to season five, Oracles. We are your otherworldly hosts, Alora Rain and Katie Fields. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to hit the subscribe button to receive notifications of future weekly episodes. We invite you to check out our sister podcast, Mimir's Well, where we explore taboo topics in the witchcraft community. Also, check out our recently opened merch shop to get all your Burning Hallows witchy gear over at Redbubble. And if that doesn't satisfy your otherworldly addiction, head over to our Patreon where you can help support the podcast and get exclusive bonus content and merch. Also, be sure to visit my website at alorarain.com if you're wanting to grab a tarot reading, numerology, or soul origin profile. And now on to the show. If there's a ring around the moon, snow is coming. Don't talk on the phone in a lightning storm. Ladybugs are good luck. Don't let the cat sleep with the baby. It'll steal his breath away. Did your granny instill in you any of these fun little anecdotes? Also known as old wives tales in the U.S., most don't realize these seemingly silly superstitions passed down through families are remnants of centuries-old folk magic traditions from the old world. When we take these scrap pieces from all over the United States and piece them together, we create a beautiful quilt of New World American witchcraft to be preserved and passed down to the next generation of American witches. In this episode, we explore folk magic customs and traditions in the United States, but more specifically, the magic kept alive by our grannies. Hey, so did you like that little quilt? I know. Metaphor that I totally stole from you. <laughs> because everybody's granny has made a quilt or an afghan or <laughs> some sort of blanket. Yes, but also I did get that metaphor from you. You used it in some other episode. So I, um, that was I an Alora original. Woo woo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess to start us off here. Do you have any old wives tales or superstitions passed down through your own family? Yeah, there's a, there's quite a few. And I actually recently wrote them all down. Mm. I, 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 there's too many to even like go over, but that's kind of what inspired this whole episode. Yeah. How about you? I'm thinking there, yes, there are a lot of them, especially because I'm Southern Mm-hmm. Um, not saying that people that live in the Northern U S don't have these as well, but it's definitely really prominent in the South. Some of them from my family are incredibly witchy, like for just for instance, my great grandmother, um, to cure basically baby diarrhea, <laughs> um, you boil rice in water and then strain the rice out and you give them the, the rice water. Well, like the- thank you for that baby poo cure. I <laughs> yeah, there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, I think even though, so I'm from Southern Maryland. And so if you actually look up, where does the South start? Like, where is it considered the South in the United States? Maryland. Yeah. It's right above 
it's it, it, essentially in Maryland is cut in a half and I'm in the Southern part, which is technically the South, which I never thought of it like that until mm. I moved away from there. And then I realized how Southern Southern Maryland actually is. And so <laughs> it actually makes sense that a lot of this stuff comes from there. Cause just like you, you're from the South. I'm not as far South as you, but, mm. um, there's a lot of that vibe going on where I grew up. Look, I was born and raised in, uh, Southern Virginia. So about an hour and a half from the outer banks of North Carolina, mm-hmm. but my mother's family is from Tennessee. And so I had a lot of that influence as well mm-hmm. growing up. Yeah. I think I, I had the Southern thing going on, but there's family that I also have from DC, my grandmother's side who were all Irish were from DC. Um, so there's a little bit of, you know, the city folk plus the country folk in me, I guess. On my maternal grandfather's side, they actually landed because um, that's my Scottish lineage. Mm-hmm. They actually landed in North Carolina and they ended up getting kicked out of North Carolina <laughs> by the governor uh, because they made such a ruckus, I guess. And they got kicked out and the governor was like, listen, if you people just go to Tennessee, I will give you a whole big, huge piece of land. Just get out. Wow. (laughs) That is awesome. In so many ways. I guess we need to talk about what exactly is granny magic and where is it practiced? Okay. So before we get real deep into it, I know that everyone's going to have their kind of own definition of this. But to me, when we use the term granny magic in the witchcraft community, most people are referring to a folk magic tradition known as Appalachian granny magic. Mm. So we'll start by defining it in this aspect first and quoting our own website, (laughs) otherworldlyoracle.com. Shameless plug. Right. Until recent years, this form of American folk magic didn't really have a name. It just was. Today, we call it Appalachian granny magic because A, it blossomed and flourished in the Appalachian mountain region, and B, it was well known that housewives and grannies practiced these traditions. Granny magic is a mixture of Irish, Scottish, and native practices, as well as German and English. And let's not forget that African-Americans who have also dwelt in the Appalachian region since the 18th century are mixed in as well. Right. Italian and Welsh immigrants also settled in the Appalachian region prior to the Great Depression. So to put it simply, Appalachian granny magic is a bubbling cauldron of remedies, charms, and beliefs passed down for some generations. Yeah. And I think... I think when we were talking about families and stuff, I think in my family, it was much more the remedies mm-hmm. that, that were big. Mm. My family kind of lost those over time, but we had a lot of old wives tale, like type superstitions that we'll probably, we'll probably get into a little bit mm. later, which as a kid, I was just like, that's weird. You know, <laughs> like when they would say things. <laughs> But now I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. And this is mainly coming from my grandmother, who's mostly Irish and was raised by her Irish grandmother. So it's a lot of it is from that side. 
Yeah. So I think if I could define granny magic myself, I'd say it's any folk magic tradition or belief kept alive by our grandmothers, Mm. whether it's something big or something small. And no matter whether our grandmothers realize it or not, because I feel like these things are kind of ingrained in some people and they're not going to necessarily, you know, your grandma who's still alive that says these things isn't going to say, oh yeah, this is a form of granny magic or folk magic. Even they might not even call it that because a lot of them are Christian and religion. Right. Yes, exactly. And I don't think that these traditions are restricted to the Appalachian region in the U S I think it's all over. Oh, definitely now for sure. Once people gained the ability to, uh, go interstate and travel, it definitely spread. Yeah. Well, I guess what I mean by that is I think any, anyone who came here from the old world or even the people that were already here have their own form of old school traditions that have been passed down. Oh, absolutely. I lived in Wisconsin at one point and I don't know if, well, Wisconsin, Minnesota, I lived in both of those States and they are deeply, what? It's very cold. Oh yeah. It's (laughs) freezing, but they are deeply heavily populated by like a lot of German, Norwegian, Mm -hmm. Norse folk. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can like even the style of their houses, all of that stuff. Yeah. And, and so I have no doubt that things from the old Norse traditions, et cetera, were brought over in those regions more so than, uh, in Appalachia or wherever. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, just recently we visited some friends in Ohio and I noticed something on one of the build on one of the houses that I haven't really seen anywhere else, except for in new England, it was a witch window. Have you ever heard of these? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. There was one in Ohio and I looked at it and I went, that's a freaking witch, witch window, witch window, a witch window <laughs> on that window. I was like, or on that house. I'm, oh my God. I can't speak tonight. Um, it just kind of blew me away. Cause I wasn't expecting to see that like in middle Midwest kind of America, you know, <laughs> a witch window, a witch window. A witch That's one. Awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> witch window. Remember. Are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> anyway? No, I just thought that that was like a new England thing, but you know, People immigrated to other places in the U.S., not just to one or two places. So those traditions will follow them wherever they go. Absolutely. Yeah. So to me, me, any new world tradition is the essence of what I would call, I personally would call American witchcraft. So Mm. whether you're practicing your granny's magic, but making up your own as you go along, or whether you're following a strict folk magic tradition, I believe these are all forms of American witchcraft. Their traditions, even if very different or similar, that have been cultivated and blossomed here in the new world and influenced from our ancestry in the old, but also how we interpret it today. Yeah. And I think that I I don't know why we don't really talk about American witchcraft Mm -hmm. because it is very much its own thing. I agree. I think someone who is, who talks on this, he has his own podcast. Uh, his name's Corey Hutchinson hmm. and his podcast is actually called new world witchery. And he wrote a, a really big book called new world witchery. And it's all about this. And it's all about, wow. it's everything that we're talking about. He talks about and has written about, and it's really good. So I would recommend his podcast if anyone's interested in diving more into this kind of aspect of American traditions and stop extending my TBR. Okay. Oh, <laughs> 
list. The shit is long enough. <laughs> I have a problem with that too. Don't worry. But my problem is I start a book and then I stop and then I start another book and then I stop and then I start and I have like 10 books that I'm reading at one time. Same, same. I have a problem with commitment. But you're also a Sagittarius, so that's not new. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I told my husband one day that my, my, one of my mottos is if you don't commit, you don't have to quit. <laughs> and then there are books that, especially fiction books that I read where I just refuse to read past a certain number page closer mm-hmm. to the end because I'm like, mm, don't want it to end. And if I don't read these pages, it won't have ended. Oh my God. That is so cute. No, I have not done that, but that is adorable. I never even thought that that was something people would do, but I like that. <laughs> okay. My so, problem is I can't commit to any one book. So, all right. So let's talk about some specific traditions and their customs by region. Yes. So we will dive into the Appalachian kind of tradition first. This is a fun fact. If anyone knows about the Henley Barnett feud in the 1930s in the Ozarks, actually, it was supposedly started by an old granny woman. Mm-hmm. Who people also said was a witch in Marshall, Arkansas. <laughs> Five people were killed in this feud between two political families, but of course it was a witch's fault and not, you know, the greedy men that were vying for the election. Of course. <laughs> so a big thing in the Appalachian granny magic tradition has to do with everyday household items and chores. <laughs> and I think that that's going to be, I mean, really truly throughout like old world witchcraft in general, because what most women did back in the day. Right. So Appalachian granny magic involved elaborate rituals, but also practical routines. So for example, a horseshoe was hung over the doorway to prevent evil spirits from entering this practice. I feel like likely comes from Irish immigrants, but actually the more I read about it, the more I realized that it's kind of from all over Europe. Hmm. Yeah, I, this is a tradition that was prominent in my family. We had Mine a horse over our door growing up. Mm-hmm. And I can't, like I said, I come from Irish and Scottish folk. So probably that's where it came from for my family. But that doesn't mean that that's, you know, solely the people that practiced it. Right. I always thought that it was an Irish thing too, because my grandmother um, always said to, to hang a, horseshoe above the door. And my mom always did it to the house as well as to the barn. Mm-hmm. So I always thought, okay, it's an Irish thing, but I actually read something recently where people were doing it in France, you know, centuries ago. So I think it was pretty widespread. That'd be but, interesting to see like where that actually started. Yeah. Like, who knows? I don't know if we know, you know, <laughs> do we know? I don't we, know. Well, you would have to like go into archeology span journals and things because I'm sure somewhere, someone (laughs) has studied it. Yeah, true. This practice of hanging the horseshoe above the doorway was believed to ward off witches as well as mischievous fairies. Well, we can see that that didn't really work in our families. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because what if you, they already live there. (laughs) (laughs) So another way to keep spirits at bay was to sprinkle salt over the hearth. Hmm or to wear a rabbit's foot. Did you ever have a rabbit's foot? They were kind of popular where I grew up. Yeah, I did as a kid. I had a white one. 
Uh, and like, no one ever thought that was weird back in the day. We're just like, Oh cool. Yeah. Rabbit's foot put in your pocket. (laughs) You know, mine was was a keychain. Yeah. Same here. That's what I'm thinking. The little like ball, um, the little, the keychain that has the, it's kind of like these little metal balls. And then you Mm -hmm. hook one into the, you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Yes. Okay. I know exactly what you're talking about. I had the same one. Yeah. And it was considered good luck, right? Yep. Uh, the that salsa- was the time where we were also smoking candy cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that was the good thing to do anyway. <laughs> oh boy. It was just eight years old smoking my candy cigarette, rubbing Dude. my lucky rabbit's foot. Yeah. Out of the bus stop, man. Just puffing them. <laughs> and no one thought that that was odd or weird. No. Not good. They were no. just like, all right, get on the bus. Yeah. The salt over the hearth fire thing, we never did. This is the first I'm hearing about that. Uh, we never did that either, but it is a part of Appalachian, like granny magic. I guess that was a pretty common practice. So some right. other granny healing methods from the Appalachians to cure a headache, place a bit of salt on your head. I'm going to have to try that one. Mm, didn't that, that one pass me by <laughs> next <laughs> To numb a baby's mouth during teething, rub the gum line with whiskey uh, or yes, rum or that. sassafras root tea. So we didn't do the rum sassafras root tea. We did whiskey. Yeah. Well, my family did. I feel like and that was a pretty commonly known one too. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't just for the numbing effect. It was also because um, sleeping effect. Exactly. Oh yeah. Put that baby out. Right. <laughs> It's screaming and it needs to not be. <laughs> uh, the sassafras root tea was also brewed to cure scurvy. And this is actually believed to have come from some of the indigenous healing traditions. Scurvy. What do you know what scurvy is? It is a deficiency of, I feel like it's vitamin C. I hold on, hold, hold that, hold that thought. Come on. The, reach, the sailors used to get it too, like the, the, you know, the scurvy scum, the pirates or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Vitamin C deficiency. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. It can lead to anemia, debility, exhaustion, spontaneous bleeding, pain in the limbs. Shall I go on? No, you're good. Okay. So it's because people didn't get enough fruit and vegetables in their diet. So obviously pirates, when they're out to sea, they're not, they don't have access to fresh fruit or veggies. So they were more prone to having scurvy. And probably if you were poor too, um, or weren't growing or, you know, had an issue with crops or so shrub yellow root was an herb used as a remedy for stomach and liver ailments. Hmm. That one I haven't heard of. It grows, I guess, naturally in some of the Appalachian regions. Now this next one is actually, I feel like a widespread remedy as well, because it's also, I found it here in the Florida folk magic, put a Hmm. knife under the pregnant woman's bed to cut the pain of childbirth or scissors as well. I've seen, I haven't heard of this one, but it doesn't mean, I don't know, but I've also never birthed children. So I may not have heard of this one. Well, I didn't learn about it until I was really digging into Florida folk magic a couple of years ago. What about Ozark granny magic? 
Interestingly, the Ozark people come from the same line of ancestors as Appalachian people, or at least some of the same line. So they are of Scottish, Irish, indigenous, and German descent, mostly. There's a lot of similarities between the granny magic of the Appalachian regions, as well as that of the Ozarks. Mm. So if salt spills on the table, a quarrel among family members will happen before the day is through. If you drop your comb, you're supposed to step on it because it could mean bad luck if you don't. I don't understand what the heck that means. Like I've tried to pick that one apart, get it, pick that one apart. And I couldn't (laughs) figure it out. It's not about your pick. It's about your comb. (laughs) I know. Don't pick up a black button if you find it in your path because it means someone is trying to curse you. Okay. I know some of these are like, they're wild, but they're really interesting. Cause you start to think like, where did that come from? You know, <laughs> also this is, I like this one a lot. Women in the Ozarks read lines and patterns and eggshells to tell the future. That's cool. I know. Right. This is kind of a paranormal one, but also really cool. Be careful. If you're going out at night, you don't run into a shape shifting, witch called a booger dog. That's hilarious. <laughs> So there's a lot of shape-shifting witches and like stories of witches that shape-shifted in that region, Mm. which I think we're going to talk about in a future episode at some point, but also draw a cross in the dust outside your home for protection. And I've also seen this as nailing nails into the shape of a cross on the front door for protection as well. Interesting. No, I haven't heard of any of those. So common old wives tales and folk magic customs that we were raised in, including our grannies and families customs. So why don't you kick us off? Because I want to hear all about your family juju. (laughs) (laughs) That's what, that's what we say. Juju. I got you. Okay. So I'm from Southern Maryland. I was born and raised in St. Mary's County, Maryland. Whoop, whoop, if anybody's from there or maybe not whoop, whoop, I don't know. But anyway, that's like me saying Loretta, Tennessee. Nobody's like, it's like a map dot. Like crickets. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. Same here. My maternal grandmother's family, the English side has been in St. Mary's County since the 1600s, while her Mm. other side, the Irish came from D.C., by way of Cork and Limerick, Ireland. And that was in the 1840s with the, of course, the great potato famine. Most people, if you have Irish family, you've heard of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I have a story about that. Oh yeah. Well, I know you do. And I just want to say that it's funny because I like, I'd go to educate my family on it and I'll be like, you know, our Irish side came from the Ireland and the great potato famine. And my husband's like, Yes. You've told this story like 20 times. And I always forget (laughs) that I've told this story, but anyway, so (laughs) my paternal grandmother's family was originally from Arlington, Virginia, and her parents were mostly of English and French descent. And then my paternal grandfather from Northern Maryland, most of his family was Swiss, Irish, Scottish, and Germans. So, you know, there's a lot of similarities there, but they all had their own kind of traditions and customs. And most of what I learned came from my mostly Irish grandmother's side. That's interesting. 
I think we're both pretty much mutts when it oh, comes yeah. to ancestry. Definitely. So my dad, paternal grandfather, was, I believe his parents were off the boat from Ireland, mm-hmm. um, from Donegal, from what I understand. And then my paternal grandmother, her mother was from Spain, off the boat from Spain. That's awesome. Um, from So Valencia region uh, and the town specifically was Alicante or- I think uh, that sounds good. Alicante. We'll go with that. Yeah. And then her, my grandmother's father was English um, and it's, and my dad has lots of stories because- his, his grandmother's parents. So like my great, great grandparents, they didn't even speak English. Wow. So he remembers being a little boy and his grandma or his great grandmother telling him stories. Mm -hmm. And he, he said, and I just remember being four years old and going, what? (laughs) Cause he didn't, you know, he didn't speak Spanish. Right. So, um, yeah. And then my mother's family, uh, so my maternal grandfather, he is Scottish. He's also, you know, he's crossover too with English as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his, it, his Scottish heritage had been in North Carolina since the 1600s or maybe even before they actually, I do know that they left Scotland due to religious persecution. Mm-hmm. And then came to America. And like I said, they're the ones that got kicked out of North Carolina. <laughs> Love it. And then Rebel with a cause. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then my maternal grandmother, she had, she has crossover, of course, but she was mainly German. And they, I have no idea how long they've been in the region of Tennessee that they're from. That's a little bit about my background. Love it. And where my grannies came from. <laughs> grannies. So um, a few things that my maternal grandmother, the one who's mostly Irish, she pretty much raised me. And she would say these old wives tales or superstitions, whatever you want to call them. But they were also beliefs of my great grandmothers who would have been her mother-in-law. So it's kind of interesting. And she was not Irish. <laughs> She was, but she was Scottish though. So maybe that's, you know, there's some crossover there, but anyway, they both said signs come in threes. That was, Hey, that was part of my upbringing as well, but not, not just signs. Like everything comes in threes. Like if you're having a bad day, at least three things are going to go wrong. (laughs) Yes. Yep. I agree. A bird in the windowsill means a death is coming. We had a bird thing, but it wasn't a death omen. Hmm. It was more, um, had to do with Cardinals. And if you saw a Cardinal, it was somebody who had passed coming to visit. Yes. Yep. I've heard that many times, not through my own family, but I've just heard that that's a common. Mm -hmm. Okay. Continue. (laughs) Okay. They also told us never to use scissors or talk on the phone during a thunderstorm, which is just funny. I feel like (laughs) girl, I can vouch for that. Granny's new what was up because my (laughs) 13 year old self did not stay off the phone during a thunderstorm. Uh Oh, (laughs) back in those days, you know, the phones were connected to the, you know, 
power grid, whatever, you know, we had, you know, they were connected to we the had wall cords. Damn it. Yeah. 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 It was none of the cell phone business. <laughs> Cordless so, luxurious uh, phones with long, no cords. Long story short, I got zapped in the ear. And oh my like, God. I did, that's and crazy. Like, <laughs> and I threw the phone and I was like, ah! <laughs> Okay. I always laughed about this. I was, was like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's no, it happens. It happened to me as a kid. Well, when they would say, don't use scissors during a thunderstorm. Like I always picture myself, like holding up a pair of like metal shears, like waiting to be like struck, you know, like, Da-da-da. I don't know. Not the scissors thing, but the actual, like, don't be on a phone during a thunderstorm. Yeah. That was probably practical. That Definitely. <laughs> That's why I laugh about it. Cause I'm like, there's some practicality to some of these, you know? <laughs> Oh, okay. This is kind of a common one where I'm from, not just for my family, but a thunderstorm, whenever it would thunderstorm, I was scared of them when I was a kid. I love them now, but as a kid, I was scared of them. And my grandmother would say, it just means that the angels are bowling in heaven. Yep. My dad tells me the same thing, but then like to the, for the darker side, they'd be like, Oh God and Satan are fighting <laughs> the like, bowling in heaven though. Yeah. My dad expounded upon that and told me, and whenever there's lightning, God has gotten a strike. Oh, yes. I heard that too. That's funny. I just and, forgot about that. And I remember being a kid and one night there was a really bad storm and he told me this and I was like, well, he must be a really good bowler. <laughs> I bet he is. That's cute. I like that. Yeah, that's funny. It's cute. Okay. Here's one. If the door groans or sticks, it means it's going to rain. And I can actually confirm that that did actually happen. Hmm. Yeah. It's almost like, so where I grew up in Maryland, all the doors were wooden, like all my grandparents' Mm -hmm. doors were wooden. And so is it, it's almost like the moisture would make them expand or something. Right. The humidity. Yeah, the, exactly. The humidity, the moisture in the air. Yeah. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I could smell it coming. Like, oh, it yeah. Times. Yeah. Yes. Where I grew up now, where I live now, not so much, but where I grew up in Maryland, you, you knew that it was coming. It's like that there's something in the air and, you know, kind of electrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so don't get on the phone, <laughs> but don't pick up a pair of scissors or get on the phone. I hope you don't have to cut any coupons out at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay. So another one, my grandmother still says this, you can put four angel statues at the corners of your property for protection, or she says to write Bible verses on popsicle sticks. Um, I've heard about the four angels one, not so much the Bible verses on popsicles. I think she made that up. I think she does that. I don't know if that's like a thing, but that's yeah. funny. Yeah. I mean, whatever works, right? You know. Okay. So another thing that I actually learned a lot from my grandmothers about were local legends. Mm. And so where I grew up, we had two very prominent ones that a lot of people knew, but apparently my grandmothers decided to tell me to scare the living bejesus out of me. Mm. One was a guy named Goatman. Okay. That sounds terrifying. Terrifying, but also like seemingly originating with like a pan or Dionysus or something. But yeah, it was like a a goat hybrid man that like did very awful things. And so also there was a crybaby bridge. Have you ever heard of that legend? Mm -mm. 
it's pretty awful. So I don't want to go into it, but <laughs> essentially there's ghost babies. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, pretty brutal. Happy, right. Huh? That's, a happy bed, that's a happy bedtime story. A beautiful. Thank yes. Thank you, mom. <laughs> lovely. And my, yeah. And on my other side, my dad's mom, who they're very, very, very Pentecostal religious. She decided to tell me the stories of the blue dog of Rose Hill in Maryland, which is essentially a ghost hound or, you know, ghost dog that Mm. guards his master who was murdered at the site, you know, I don't know, some centuries ago. And then there's also the mall Dyer legend who was a, uh, an accused witch in Leonardtown, Maryland, where I was born, who was basically driven out of her house in the middle of the night in the winter and who essentially froze to death. Very sad story. Mm. But yeah, I don't know why my very Christian grandmothers decided to tell me these things, but they did. Well then. (laughs) Yeah. Growing up like local legends and stuff. And like, I grew up in an area of the United States that was heavily soiled by the civil war. Yeah. Also by the revolutionary war. The same here. Yep. Uh, And so just being in certain parts of town would creep you out. Yes. Yep. Um, I know this all too well, seriously. Yeah. Especially places like Yorktown and Jamestown that have been there for, for, I don't even know, 1400, 1500, whenever the Mayflower came over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't like, there weren't a lot of legends to be told because they were all kind of out in the open mm-hmm. as far as creepiness. Um, and then my awesome parents decided that they were going to be, you know, reenact civil war stuff, which in saying that, I mean, like the dress and the lifestyle. I'm with you. Don't worry. There's a lot of shit about my family that I can't say. Oh, me too. We're, yeah. We're not going there. Okay. So after you got over the trauma of being scared to the bejesus out of you by your grandmothers. Was there any Maryland folk magic brought by immigrants and African slaves that you learned about? That's really cool. And we need to talk about. Yeah, there's, so we learned about this actually in school. There was actually evidence of witch bottles Mm. in Southern Maryland. That's really cool. Yeah. Which my, I mean, that's pretty common, right? Oh yeah. Like, uh, at one point my mom bought a really old house that was pre civil war house. Mm-hmm. So it was there before the civil war when it would rain bottles would come up in the yard. Like, and I'm talking like sing singer sewing machine bottles that were really wow. old things like that. And then we ended up re um, renovating this house to where we had to tear out all the walls because it was really old. Mm -hmm. And when we tore out the walls, there was newspapers from the 1920s. There were bottles in the walls. There was all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I think, I feel like you told me the story and I just think it's so awesome. (laughs) It was creepy as Oh yeah. You say it's awesome in theory, right? Or I can say it's awesome in theory, but then when I actually go to experience it, I'm, I'm a chicken. Like I'm a, I'm one of the worst chickens. (laughs) Like, you know, 
my mom would be like, come look at this cool bottle that was in the wall. And I'm like, why are they putting bottles in the wall? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay. In my part of Maryland, there was also coins found buried under the hearth Hmm. and post holes that were assumed to be part of prosperity drawing like magical rituals, excuse me, coins were found under the hearth as well as under post holes. And there was a lot of poppet magic going on in that region. But how would that work? What's that? So I'm thinking about coins under posts in post holes. Yeah. To draw prosperity. But like in my logical brain, I'm thinking like, cool. Like you're, you're putting money into the ground like as a symbolic thing, you know, you know, it's not actually going to grow, but that's like the symbolism, right? Well, could it also be a lot of this has to do with offerings as well? Mm, That could be, I was just thinking about it from like a farm perspective. Cause I'm like, if you want something to grow, why would you cover it with a post? It's not going to grow. (laughs) I see what you're saying. I, I took it as more of a tradition of giving an offering to the land or the hearth spirits. In order yeah. to acquire more. That makes sense. We can mm-hmm. only theorize. <laughs> what about, and you can, you can go with wherever you want on this. Cause I don't know how much you know about folk magic where you live currently, but maybe where, yeah. Back up. Yep. Did you go yep. over pocket magic? Oh no, not in detail. Okay. Sorry. Well, I think, okay, as far as poppet magic goes in Maryland, this is where I get a little heated about it because I feel like people think that it's only one particular, you know, tradition that has engaged in poppet magic, but this is a form of magic that is actually thousands of years old, but Mm. it was widespread in colonial times, like across, across the colonies, across people there. It's just, it was a very popular form of magic because it was very accessible, right? If you had any kind of piece of fabric or, you know, natural materials in general, you could use plants and, you know, moss and things like that. And you could construct a doll Mm. and then imbue it with whatever intentions you had. Well, I have a doll from my maternal great-grandmother, which Mm -hmm. she made for me upon my birth. That's how old this thing is. And it creeps the kids out. (laughs) I was going to, I was about to go there with the creepy doll stories. Yeah. Well, it creeps them out because they're like, um, that thing's looking at me and, Mm -hmm. but my, my great-grandmother made it for me. So I will never, ever get rid of it. But I think that part of the reason that she made it was one, so I could have, you know, a a keepsake. And two, I was also born with a heart condition. So it was kind of like a, to keep safe. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? So definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Poppets weren't just used for like malevolent purposes. They're also used for a lot of different things for health, for prosperity, for protection, for all kinds of things. Oh yeah. But I don't think, I guess, I guess my point in saying that was, it's not always the type of poppet that you imagine in your Mm -hmm. mind as being part of magic. It could even be something like a handmade doll. Oh yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Yes. And my daughter actually has a particular fear of dolls and I'm, 
evil because there's this <laughs> raggedy and all that we have. And yeah. it was her aunt that was given to her when she was young. And she is particularly scared of it. But now that she's gotten older, she's a teenager. She can handle it. Don't anybody worry. I like to randomly place it in places for her to find. You're terrible. I know. <laughs> it's like me and clowns. I was terrified. I was like seriously legit phobic of clowns as a kid. Um, and so my. Did you ever parents- see that killer clowns from outer space? Is that why? Yes. Yes. I hated that movie. Scared me to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my parents thought that it would be appropriate with my phobia of clowns to hang one in the corner of my bedroom on a swing. Oh, no, 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 no. And also to dress me up like a clown. Oh yeah. I've seen that actually. (laughs) That was kind of popular back in the eighties. Why were they, why were they thinking that that was cool? I don't know. Well, my parents thought that if they dressed me up like a clown, I would see that it was just makeup. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. I could tell a story about my husband, but I'll refrain. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We'll move on. Okay. We will. Common folk magic customs, old wives tales where we currently live. So, or other places that we've lived. Yeah. Okay. You're going to have to give me a minute to think on this one. So you go ahead and start talking about Florida. Okay. So when I first started looking into folk magic in Florida, I was met with a little resistance and more questions, basically more, I don't knows than any actual answers. So I had to do a lot of digging and I ended up in historical documents in the Florida state archives hmm. I actually learned a lot from the documentation that I found there. I was, I was pretty excited to find it cause I didn't expect to, but specifically the cultural magical traditions brought to the state by many different peoples. Um, there was a lot of African slaves who had run away including the Gullah Geechee culture from the low country, as well as Japanese, Cuban, Caribbean, French, Spanish, Scottish immigrants. And the traditions that were already here via the Seminole people and prior to them, the Tamukua, along with others. People mm-hmm. told me that hoodoo what was, was, is what was practiced in Florida as far as a folk magic tradition, but others referred to it as a granny folk magic tradition or conjure that was seemingly different from hoodoo. And Mm. I would actually come to find that there was a combination of these cultures and indigenous peoples made, and it made for a very interesting form of folk magic that was carried on into the early 1900s via midwives. Which this is interesting to me. So my mother currently lives in Florida. So Mm. I've, I've been in Florida quite a bit. I find this to be interesting because there is also a whole lot of brujeria mm-hmm. shops, um, bo- uh, botanicas. Mm-hmm. So that is also like really heavy down there. Well, it's because you have a lot of Cuban and Puerto Rican influence here. Mm-hmm. A lot. It's pretty, uh, um, where I, where I live too, it's specifically a lot of Cuban influence, but the Cuban and Puerto Rican, uh, is pretty prominent all over the state. Mm. I actually went into a botanica once down there and I was like, oh no, I can't read any of the signs. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So that, but that's what I mean. Like they are genuine, authentic. Yes. Botanicas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, there's a, it, it's a, it's, 
especially if you're like me from Maryland, there's a lot of different traditions here um, from people that immigrated here that are very different from what I was raised around, which is really cool because you get to learn a lot. If you want to learn more about Florida folk magic specifically, or like conjure in specifically the Florida style, which I feel is much different from elsewhere, I recommend reading Zora Neale Hurston's work. She's a classical author that actually lived in central Florida and specifically you want to pick up her book of mules and men. And Mm -hmm. it's towards the latter half of the book. A lot of the first part of the book is very much focused on the folklore of her family um, of African descent. And then towards the end of the book, it gets really, really interesting because she talks about learning, um, learning this form of folk magic under a few granny women in the state of Florida, and then traveling to Louisiana and supposedly being initiated under Marie Laveau's nephew. Holy doolies. It's really good. And, and this was written, she, she lived and wrote most of her stuff back in the 1940s. I thought it was the late thirties. Well, you know, give or take, I have a lot of her original that I don't have the original copies, but I have her, her work like in my bookshelf, but we'll just yeah, say twenties to fifties yeah, somewhere in that time period. So really interesting. And I highly recommend it. So some of the, there was a document that I actually found in the Florida state archives that was written by a woman who was collecting remedies from the midwives in Florida at that time, like early 1900s. Mm. Sadly, like the midwives were being basically either arrested or forced into going to nursing school and working under doctors, but that's for another time. So Mm. some of the examples from the midwifery in Florida to ensure a quick and painless delivery, the mother should wear her old man's hat or straddle his lap. (laughs) What? Yes. So while they were giving birth, she'd wear his hat or she would actually straddle his lap and give birth. Okay. Then I know. So to dress the umbilical cord, one is to use soot cobwebs and axle grease, axle grease. Uh Okay. I know mulline leaves were rubbed on legs or used as poultices to lessen swelling of the feet during pregnancy. Mm. A shirt tea was made from steeping a man's sweaty shirt and given to sweat out a fever. Okay. Bone set weed tea reduces fever for asthma. You take the child into the woods and find a pine tree. You nail a nail into the tree above the child's head. And as the child grows, the ailment will transfer into the tree. I've heard of this. Yeah. Well, George Hares, who we talked to last season about British folk folk magic. Hmm speaks of a similar healing method used in British folk magic. And he referred to it as transference. I remember that. Yeah. Um, so for a retained placenta, you blow into a blue bottle and place the mother on top of hot chicken feathers. Uh, I feel like that was before heating pads, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. It just sounds funny, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, we preserve. Okay, go ahead. You go. Oh, I was just going to say where I live now, because now I live in Western Australia. Yes. I am not well-versed in Aboriginal lore. I can tell you a, a, a little bit as far as where I live. 
There's actually one of the coolest things is, so it's really hard to follow the wheel of the year down here Mm -hmm. because the seasons don't match up to the European wheel of the year because this isn't Europe, period. Yeah. The Aboriginal people actually have six seasons here. So there are actually six seasons, but each region of Australia has their own uh, Aboriginal nations that inhabit that, that area or that are the keepers of the land there. They have their own seasonal calendars and they aren't the same as where I live. Hmm. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. You know, in the U S for example, you have four seasons all across the board, right? Yeah. It's more complicated than that, but absolutely. Yes. But you know what I mean? Generally Mm -hmm. it's true. Yes. Um, But here it's not at all, which is, which is interesting. And then as far as where I have lived before, I would say probably the coolest place (laughs) that I lived was the white mountains of Arizona. Mm -hmm. That is very heavily indigenous. And so you get a lot of Myths, old wives tales, crossovers from the Apache Nation, the White Mountain Apache Nation, Navajo, Hopi Nation. I mean, there's a plethora of indigenous peoples there to learn from and take from. And and so that was really cool. Awesome. There's a book called, if you're ever interested, um, there's a book called Myths and Tales of the White Mountain Apache. Hmm. And there are 75 different myths and tales about basically their entire mythos, like creation stories, et cetera, et cetera. And what's interesting is each nation has all their own stories, but they all live relatively within the same area. Yeah. I love that. And probably out there, I would say that the, one of the most prominent myths or legends that I heard during my time there was the Wendigo. Oh yeah. We have an <laughs> article on that. <laughs> yeah. So that was probably the most, um, like a uh, widespread in the Southwest region. Really in I- the Southwest. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause I, when I, when I did a lot of this research on it, it was a lot towards the North, like the Northern part of the U S too. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. Well, there's obviously some crossover with a lot of this stuff. So, well, yeah, true. I mean, but it goes to the same effect that indigenous nations didn't remain in one place. Yeah. There was travel, there was intermarriage, there was all that stuff. Definitely. Okay. Hundo P. Hundo P. All right. <laughs> How do we preserve and incorporate like these superstitions, folk magic customs into our own practices today? I think if you still have living relatives that are old enough to remember like your family's history, you definitely want to ask them if they know of any of these superstitions or customs, maybe that your family held, or maybe even what they remember from the area where they grew up. Mm. And if you remember any of them, you just have to write them all down. Um, and she put that in bold letters, all capitals, write this down. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I, I had this like whim one day and I'm like, I need to just talk to my grandmother and talk to my mom and just write all this down, whatever they remember. Oh yeah. I'm like that with my father-in-law because he, his parents were immigrants in the 1930s to Australia from Albania. Mm-hmm. 
that he tells lots of awesome stories and oh and I didn't even mention that because I guess because we're focused on our families I didn't even really think about it but in Albanian culture when babies are born they're given evil eye charm from their grandparents that's cool how cool is that that's awesome my husband has one and then all of my bonus babies have theirs too oh I love that yeah so ask your family members talk to your husbands, their family members, everybody Mm -hmm. write it down. I think it's just really important. And then you can pass that down to your children or your grandchildren, and then they can add on to it. You know, it's, I don't know if you remember also too, like, if you remember little things that your family says, like I used to hear if there was a ring around the moon, it meant that snow was coming. Then if you actually see a ring around the moon, you just say it. (laughs) So that your family remembers it. We always heard if there was blood on the moon or IE like a red ring, trouble was coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. you know what I saw the other day down here? It's called a sun dog. It's actually a a rainbow ring around the sun. Have you ever seen those? No, I never saw them until I moved down here. I never saw one in Maryland, but I've seen them in Florida a couple of times. And typically it's a, it's a sign that it's going to rain. But I mean, you know, it rains every freaking day in Florida. So, but anyway. <laughs> and, you know, now that we're like wrapping this up, everything's coming into my mind. <laughs> of course. My pops, he's uh, Ogallala Lakota Sioux, and he is deathly afraid of owls. If an owl is hooting outside, we're moving. Like that's Aww. how serious. I love owls. I just dreamt of owls last night. Yes, but in his culture, owls are a harbinger of death. I know, I know. It, it, yeah, it depends, right? So my mom, when she and my pops were dating, she literally had a family of owls in the trees outside. Like she had a screened-in porch, mm-hmm. and the owls were in the back of that porch. And he heard him, and he was like, "Uh, you need to move." you need to sell this house. And she was oh like, what? <laughs> so yes, some of these go deep. Oh, understood though. Mm. Everybody has their things. Also, if you are not a writer and you would like to preserve stories like this, there's actually a website called StoryCorps. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but you can go on there and do video or audio, whichever. And you just talk about whatever you want to talk about. And the website exists for the purposes of history preservation. Yeah. I feel like we've brought this up in an episode before, and I think it's awesome. Yeah. So, which is funny because that's what I've um, actually asked my father-in-law, like, Someday when I have the time and we're we're together, I would love to just sit down and record like, you know, your, your stories. That's awesome. Yeah. And important. All right. Are we ready to wrap it up? Oracles. Once again, we appreciate your support and your positive witchy vibes until next time. Remember whether you're in the land of the Fae or the land of the ancestors stay otherworldly.